welcome back to the Teening Podcast and a very special welcome back to the very first episode of 2023. We are about to publish a special edition issue of, oh my gosh, say that 10 times fast, special edition issue of the Teen Inc. magazine, all about the performing arts, so specifically music, theater, and dance. And this episode of the podcast is here to serve as a little sneak peek into the issue, which will come out on January 9th. As a former theater kid who is currently now a theater adult, there is nothing more magical to me than watching a performance on stage. There's electricity in the air. I mean, it's like watching people do their own stunts in person. Before your very eyes, you're transported into a new world, whether it's through set design and costumes, an orchestral piece, or a dance performance. Being able to convey so many emotions and nuance through creative measures is a feat within itself, and when it's done right, it can be life-changing for the audience. These articles I'm about to read are featured in the January issue, so I really hope you check it out when it launches on our website next week. This issue will also feature exclusive interviews with some of our Teen Inc. contributors, as well as Graciela, a singer and songwriter whose sophomore EP was just released in October. Here's a snippet of that interview. How do you feel when you stand before a crowd of people? Like, do you feel sick to your stomach or overjoyed? Right before, I feel like I'm going to throw up and I'm like scared to death. But then as soon as I hit the stage, like the adrenaline rushes and it's just the best feeling in the world. I just loosen up and it's just the best feeling. And as just a reminder, the full interview will be released on January 9th when the January issue of Teen Inc. magazine comes out. You can read that at teeninc.com. Now onto the topic of this episode, the performing arts. What is it that draws people to the stage? Is it the adrenaline rush? Is it the hundreds of pairs of eyes on you or the ability to become a new character? Or maybe it's just an opportunity to share your talents and hard work with those around you. Personally, it's all of those things. I was a thespian in high school and I still have hobbies that require me to get in front of strangers and make them feel something, mostly laughter. And while I hated speaking in public or giving presentations in class, there was something freeing about becoming a different version of myself or a character. It made speaking in front of strangers that much easier. And I think the number one comment that performers get, correct me if I'm wrong, but I got so many comments that were like, oh, I could never do what you do, or I can't believe like you're brave enough to do that. So it really does take a special kind of person, but I feel like once you reframe what you're doing in your head, it just kind of makes it a lot easier to actually go out there and do it. So I do highly um, recommend that everybody who has a fear of this performing in public, get out there and try it at least once. You might end up really liking it. I mean, your adrenaline does really kick in, so if you're looking for some sort of corporeal sign that it's fun and you can do it, I highly recommend it. I went to Google to try and figure out if someone could put into the words, what is the appeal of performing? So I found this paragraph from the music blog Interlude, and it was written by Frances Wilson, and she writes, 
it brings pleasure to performer and to audience, both in terms of pure entertainment and also the pleasures of intellectual stimulation and challenge or being emotionally moved. Alongside this, performing gives voice to the human condition and the meaning of life and examines and confronts shared values in ways which transcend spoken language. So how do we feel about that? I really like how this was put. I think performing and all of these creative venues provide innumerable ways to view the human experience through different lenses. And I think that's beautiful. I think so much of art is something that we can relate to, whether or not we have experienced what is exactly happening uh, in front of our eyes. And I think that's so special that that is something that can connect all humans throughout the world and throughout time, are these very beautiful, poetic moments that you can see through somebody else's lens. So, without further ado, um, I am going to read a few of the articles that are featured in this January magazine. But if you like performing, or if you've ever gotten stage fright and have sworn to never perform ever again, tell us about the experience at teeninc.com submit. For now, here are some articles that you will find in the next issue out January 9th. This article is called Shatter and Break, and it was written by Christopher Fu. In the worn-out dance studio, among the throng of whispering girls, I loosened my suffocated energy. Back then, as a third grader, I had a stereotype engraved in my mind that boys were too cool to dance or sing. Those were for girls. I was chained to my friend's misconceptions of, dancing is so girly, and what boys dance? Even then, I still danced at home. My brother would play the third movement of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, and I would spin the velvet keyboard cover around me and my penguin pajamas and perform my best interpretation of interpretive dance. While I was twirling and sashaying, my mom noticed my interest in dance. Therefore, at the beginning of third grade, I trudged up the stone steps of the church where I would have my first contemporary dance class. Signing in, I glanced at the manager's face as she shook my hand and nudged me towards the studio. Imagine my surprise at the bright eyes and blossoming smiles that abounded, not at all the stony, cold faces I had expected. Yet walking into the studio, my deepest fears were confirmed. There were only girls there. They huddled up in groups in different corners, blonde, black, and brown heads down and voices hushed. Some were stretching on bars, and I subconsciously shuffled my bright blue and green sketchers when I saw the girls' worn pink ballet and jazz shoes. My anxiety was then further exacerbated by the tall mirrors lining the front wall of the room that multiplied each person, ten girls reflected into twenty and then thirty. I saw a girl kick her legs so that they formed a line in the air, her back straight, toes flexed, arms curved perfectly. I gulped. The smell of the warm, fuzzy sunlight wafting in through the window was suffocating me, choking any words out of me. My heart pounded against my body even harder. I had stepped back into the doorway, one leg twitching to leave and the other rooting me to the ground, with a fear of my mother's chastising voice keeping it there. Do you know how long I worked to find that place and sign you up there? Do you know how much money I paid? Now I did my part. Time for you to take one for the team. I could already hear that conversation. 
Then something brushed my arm, and I looked down to see a little fair-haired boy step into the room. The poise in his gait, the confidence in his relaxed posture, he was everything I needed and wanted to be. He was a stranger like me, and therefore a friend. When the class started and we all sat down in a circle on the polished cedar wood floor to introduce ourselves, the girls urged me to join, those stone-cold faces defrosting and emanating their true heat. Enthusiastic words like, come on, join us, and yeah, it'll be fun, and just get in the circle, surrounded me as I eased slightly and slid into the circle. For the next hour, I didn't care how good I was at dancing or how I looked, I just lost myself into the groove and beat of the songs on the instructor's 2010's pop hits playlist. We even broke off into small groups and choreographed our own 30-second dances to perform to the class, my previous piano ribbon experience kindling my creativity as I jumped and sashayed across the room. As the class ended and my heavy breaths rasped in my ears, I felt the thrill of dance, a garbage shoot for my restlessness and voice for my passion for music. Snapped by the excitement and the girls accepting smiles, the chains of stereotypes once ensnaring my heart fell loose. I held the same right to dance as anyone else. My curiosity would not be overshadowed by generalizations of what activities certain genders could do. Dancing out of the building that day into the fresh fragrance of the open air, my mind was a tornado of excitement and gratitude for this dance class. Yet among all the emotions came, Mom, I want to go again. And so I did again and again and again. This next article is called Guitar Man, and it was written by Jackson O'Brien. My guitar pick is a small, modest tool that can be used to create sublime, elegant music. By itself, the pick is just an ordinary piece of plastic. It's made of inexpensive celluloid that forms a small isosceles triangle with smooth, rounded edges. Similarly, the surface of the pick is unremarkable. The brand mark had worn off after countless hours of practice, leaving only the design of black and purple splotches. Overall, when it's alone, the pick seems to be a dull and worn-down tool of no value. However, when paired with a guitar, it transforms into a genius device that produces magnificent symphonies. The monotonous atmosphere of my room creates the perfect environment for music making. As I enter my room, the dull, stuffy climate begs for change. The boring beige walls, dying dim lights, and tedious tan carpet form a depressing prison-like ambiance that longs for color. This bleak, dreary turf requires something cheerful and upbeat to transform the darkness into happiness. Luckily, I have a simple solution. I grab my pick, take out my guitar, and fill the room with my spirited performance. The previously lonely space is furnished with optimism and joy. As I play, my exuberant yellow Labrador Lily eagerly rushes upstairs to get to my room. When she arrives, her demeanor instantly changes from the vigorous and rambunctious to calm and quiet. She slowly creeps into the room, silently crawls into a corner, and solemnly sits down. Lily has learned through experience that loudly barking or rowdily running around leads to doggy purgatory, getting locked out of my room. However, since she is acting well-behaved, I ignore her and continue playing. Her ears perk up as she sits in a trance, mesmerized by my notes and harmonies. However, my musical journey has prior origins. Many years ago, I began pursuing music by joining my middle school's orchestra as a violinist. I loved the dazzling, graceful singing of the famous four-stringed instrument. 
While learning the violin, I first experienced this sense of complete immersion that can only be induced by music. As my hands sped up and down the cold wooden fingerboard while my bow glided across the stiff metallic strings, I became totally absorbed in the melodies of my music. All other thoughts were pushed out of my head as I completely zoned into my playing. The fingers on my left hand perfectly locked onto the correct notes while my right hand attacked the strings with my bow. I adopted SpongeBob's state of mind when he hypnotized himself to forget everything except fine dining and breathing. This otherworldly experience led me to develop a deep passion for music, as well as an appreciation for the skill required to excel in the field. Unfortunately, after years of playing the violin, I had found one major flaw with my school's orchestra. The Victorian-era classical songs it exclusively plays are bland and uneventful. After performing dozens of nearly identical symphonies by Mozart and Bach, they began to feel shallow and repetitive. I longed to play exciting modern music instead of the dismal etudes from the 18th century. Not being able to handle the drab, emotionless tunes, I retired from the violin after four long years. However, unable to shake my musician's spirit, I retained my drive to make music. Eventually, one mundane afternoon, I picked up my family's ancient, dust-covered guitar that hadn't seen sunlight for over a decade. After sitting down and strumming a few simple chords, I instantly became obsessed with the instrument. At that moment, I made a goal to become talented at the guitar and expand my instrumental palette. For the next few weeks, I spent each free moment studying basic techniques and learning beginner songs on YouTube. Today, after years of taking private lessons, I can now play the music I enjoy. While it was a long and drawn-out process to reach this point, I loved every minute of it. Some of my favorite memories are from experimenting with my guitar. I achieved my musical accomplishments by creating a goal and working hard to fulfill it. Just as a guitar pick is an undistinguished tool that can be used to make beautiful melodies, goals are ordinary thoughts that can be used to achieve greatness. If you set goals for yourself and work hard to achieve them, you can accomplish anything. Lastly, we have an article written by Lauren Williams, and it is called On Theater. The room is quiet. There are people sitting in seats, whispering in the dim theater. They have all agreed to join this hall of stories, this fairy tale heard together. They turn in unison. The murmurs cease, and their eyes alight upon the stage, where a single spotlight shines. It turns the curtain, once gray with shadow, a bright velvety crimson. The curtain rises, slowly and people, costumed, fill the stage. They are pretending and yet telling the world's truth, such that all in the audience are swayed at once. They cry in unison, their tears wetting the theater floor. They laugh, and it all comes at once, a great swell of sound, deep and joyful as a choir. They sigh, groan, think, and feel. They look at the characters and see a mirror to themselves, every person joined in this universal dance. A drama is a shared reverie, a moment to understanding that every person feels the same earthquaking, song-raising emotions that we do in our quietest moments outside of the theater. Inside, we are one eye watching, one ear listening. We are sitting in the pews so long ago, stained glass filling the air with color as the preacher tells a tale we all understand. We are in the woods, the night quiet, the sky filled with stars, or other spotlights too, and the ground cool dirt as the firelight flickers on our faces. We listen to the storyteller. 
There are strong men and brave women in magic beyond belief, but it all ties back to us, ancient and unchanging. The Greeks did it, I heard, and Shakespeare did it too, and now there's Tony Kushner and Broadway. As long as there are people, there will be stories to tell and emotion to entrance us. The stories never change, really. They are always the same. The tragedy and the rise, the prologue, the climax, because we are really all one person, sullen and thinking that we are alone in our thoughts. So we share how we feel in the form of fiction again and again. And each time, the message is received and understood, the cry heard, and the joyful call rebounding. A novel is its own world, a private place to listen. There are only two chairs, you and the author, and it is a lovely speech to warm your heart, but no one sits beside you to experience the story too. A play is the same story, made real and visual and true, experienced with an audience. If you laugh, will they follow you? Are you all not members of a lifelong improv group? Are the actors really acting, or have they all felt it before? And you have too, which is why you clap at the end. Are we really so different? No, and we never were. I remember seeing a Christmas carol years ago performed by a Boston troupe on a circular stage. It reminded me of a miniature amphitheater, albeit in a cramped and dark room housed in a brick building on a congested city street. The circle is even better for drama than the square. In the circle, we look at the actors, but also the audience. We are together, not just watching alone, eyes glued to the front, but watching as one. We see the performers in their top hats and outrageous gray beards and Victorian clothing, yet still so thoroughly us that the drapery is irrelevant. Tiny Tim walks around the edge of the stage wishing us a Merry Christmas. The actor is himself, and yet he is Tiny Tim too. When they say that personality is an act, I believe it. We are actors upon a stage, making ourselves into anything we pretend to be. The troupe seems to agree. At the play's end, they invite the small audience to the center of the room, the stage floor. We sing a final song together, Old Lang Syne, and they give us branches of holly to wave. The characters are us, and we them. There is no difference. Theater is a chance for us to expose the beautiful and hidden truth. We are all about the same, and therefore can all understand each other. We are characters of our own making, but we can change our act just as easily as a villain rejoins the stage, as a baker in the ensemble for the finale. Nothing is set in stone. Our life is a play, us players, and we are not alone, because the ensemble is seven billion wide. Ah, doesn't that give you chills? Or maybe it's just me, but that piece really reminds me of... Of course, Shakespeare's All the World's a Stage monologue from As You Like It, which essentially just says that everybody plays a part in this gigantic play that is life. And we have villains, we have lovers, we have we have kids, we have adults, and we have kids who grow up to play adults. And overall, we're just a bunch of experiences that everyone gets to go through that teach us about being in love and being a good person and loyalty and faith and vengeance and everything else that you can experience or feel through watching dance and music and theater. So after having 
listened to those three articles, I thought that I would finish this episode off by reciting Shakespeare's All the World's a Stage speech. Um, And hopefully that you can tie some of these themes together and reflect on some of the, what you would describe as basic human experiences that you have learned about or that you have resonated and connected with through anything, any of the performing arts. And if you have an experience like that, feel free to email us at editor at teenink.com or submit a think piece if you will, to teenink.com slash submit. So here we go. I'll try my best to honor Shakespeare, even though I admittedly was very bad at Shakespeare (laughs) growing up. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his ex being seven ages. At first the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms, and then the whining schoolboy with the satchel and shining morning face, creeping like a snail, unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly with good cap and lined, with eyes severe and beard a formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved a world too wide, for his shrunk shank and his big manly voice, turning again toward childish trouble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. Everything.